Canucks Central Tuesday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah here in the Kintech studio. Kintech footwear and orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. This hour of Canuck Central brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. You can get in touch with us here on the show, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. And that way you can be a part of Canuck Central as well if you are listening live. To those listening on podcast on demand, we appreciate you as well. Please subscribe, leave a review. That way you never miss any of our Post-game shows, exclusive interviews, inside info, and an interview exclusively, well, I guess not so exclusively, with Jim Rutherford tomorrow here on uh, the program as he's been doing the rounds here, Sat. We're finally getting to hear more and more from President Jim Rutherford. Yeah, we've been waiting to hear from him, and we finally have, and he's uh, had a few thoughts uh, about uh, what's going on with the team. We discussed what he had to say about Andre Kuzmenko yesterday uh, based on his discussion with Ian McIntyre and went in, into more depth with Ian McIntyre and some other topics today. So it was good to hear from him because we hadn't heard from Rutherford since the beginning of the season. Yeah. So um, I'm, gla- I'm glad. Essentially uh, a two-year check-in since yes. it's been uh, two years since he officially took over the job of president of Hockey Ops for the Vancouver Canucks and and I think the, you know, one of the things that was most interesting to come out of the conversation with Ian McIntyre, um, he believes the window is just opening up. And look, there's a lot of things that this team still needs to do, still needs to get to, um, still needs to add to mm-hmm. the roster in order for them to be considered or I should say widely considered a cup contender or into that tier of team in the National Hockey League. But there's no doubting they are on the right track. But believing that window is just opening up, what does that mean for how the short and medium-term picture looks for the Vancouver Canucks? Well, it means that as much as they're looking to do things, and and I believe they are, it's not an all-in season, Mm -hmm. right? Like they've obviously made it put a lot of chips uh, on the table this year. They traded some draft picks. Um, they've spent some cap space, obviously. They're trying to be competitive this, this year, right? But I'm not sure this is the year they're trying to so-called win the Stanley Cup, necessarily. Right. But that's not to say that they're not going to give themselves a decent chance. And I do think, like we talked before, they're going to be very aggressive still. And, you know, I like that, that he said they're not afraid of making mistakes and you have to, you know, make trades and do things and that they're not afraid of doing so. But you I do can't think... can't necessarily be afraid of making mistakes. No, but... I think it also tells you that their roster isn't exactly where they want it to be quite yet, and they feel like it can get there in a couple of years. We've long sort of been on this train together of, you don't have to look too far past Thatcher Demko and Quinn Hughes' contract to figure out the sort of window that the Canucks are working with, especially Mm -hmm. with Demko's contract, because... By the time that expires, you know, are you going to want to truly extend him with another yeah. big contract? There's a lot of question marks that come up there for an aging goaltender. But the point is, it, it kind of at least gives you a, a framework of what the window looks like. And there's, that's two years beyond this one with Thatcher Demko. So if it's not this year, maybe next year is one where they are going to be a little bit more aggressive and continuing to try and put pieces around what they've already done here in Vancouver and 
it's not quite yet where it was when he was in Pittsburgh, where you have Crosby, Malkin, and Latang, and you're like, well, we're going for it every single yeah. year. It's it's still a little bit of a build towards that. Well, you still have to sign Pedersen to an extension. He doesn't seem overly concerned about that. But yep. he, you know, that's something that they're going to get done. Heronic, obviously, you figure out what you're doing with him and his contract situation. So there are you know bigger building blocks you have to put into place long term to kind of have a better idea of what your pieces are that you're working with three to four years from now. But I understand what he means by the window just opening up to some extent. I think the question always comes down to JT Miller. How many more years does he have? He's 30, playing incredible hockey, but how many more years at this type of level does he have left in his career? And maybe it is four to five. That's kind of what you know Rutherford was saying. He thinks he'll be fine. But can you also take advantage of the next three years, maybe four, mm-hmm. right? And I think you could, especially with the cap going up in a few years, you have to offset the OEL buyout increase in year three or four, like he himself mentioned. And by having some ELCs, that helps out, obviously. But I do think there is going to be more cap space, and you are getting some more of these contracts off the books. So I do think they will have more flexibility to mold the team in the shape they truly want in about a year or so. And, um, you know, that's that's an interesting part of this equation. Um, Still, the biggest thing that's coming up for the team is the Pedersen negotiation and what that looks like. How long a term is that deal? Yeah. What is the ultimate average annual value? And, you know, he does say that he believes Pedersen is a top five player in the league, <laughs> is among that caliber of player. So, you know, if I'm uh, Pedersen's agent, I'm saying, well, okay, top five player in the league, that looks like, well, at least $11.5 million yes. on the average annual value. And that's sort of where we've started to ballpark that conversation. And it does. It's hard, not not that it's impossible to do other business, but it helps to have that one done so that you can start planning around it just to see how much it actually comes in at. Yeah, that I think is part of it. But also you want to make sure that you know that you, that you have this player for yes. X amount of years. Because if you don't, like what other possibilities are you looking at? Like, I think that's the biggest clarity you want to get to. I think the numbers you can kind of ballpark a little bit. It's more about how sure are you that he's going to be here in three years. Yeah. And how does that shape how you're doing things the next few years? Because if he's not going to be there, and Rutherford mentioned that he thinks Pedersen can be a top five player in the league. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yep. it's hard to replace a top five player. If you're trading a, trading a top Basically five player, impossible. if you're trading a top five player, your best hope is that a draft pick you're getting at some point turns out to be that. But the chances of that are minimal, really. Yeah. Like, you're, you're probably not getting a top two or three pick. No. And even if you are... Um... Look, we all sort of admired how Brad Tree Living was able to get a good haul for Matthew Kachuk in return. Uh, it's not turned out well because no. Jonathan Huberdeau has uh, not held up his end of the bargain after scoring 115 points with the Florida Panthers. He's now maybe the worst contract in the league. Right. So, I mean, if it comes to that, yeah. hey, you have to make a better deal than what you know Tree yeah. Living did with, with uh, Matthew Kachuk. But you hope it doesn't come to that. I think that's the biggest thing you want to get you know, some clarity on. And it feels and I know like... as much as as a president can say, I'm not overly concerned about it until the deal's actually done. You can't like you still have to account for that possibility. Yes. And that's what's difficult about working around that. Yeah, exactly. And I think everything we've heard, Rutherford seems confident. Alvin seems confident. I mean, Pedersen himself, when he met with him with the media the other day, he's, he was talking about we're trying to build something here long term. 
Yeah. You know, so he's he's talking like somebody invested. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it'll be nice for everybody once they finally get something done. So you kind of have that, okay, we know what this is. Let's move forward with everything else. But I do think it's going to be interesting to see what else they do this season. It's... Uh... It makes for an interesting uh, sort of setup for the trade deadline. Um, we've discussed it quite a bit. In hey, they'd still like to add another defenseman. In a perfect world, you'd add you'd like to add a forward to this yeah. group, especially with Andre Kuzmenko going the way that he is. But you can't necessarily do it all, and I wonder about you know when when he says you know aggressive. To a point, I wonder if that means like, hey, we're not going to overspend for a rental or do those types of things that a, a true cup contender might do in trade deadline season. Yeah, and, and I think when you look at this team, I don't think anybody believes they're a rental away from winning a Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. They're something meaningful away. And yeah, if some somebody comes along that, say, is within the right age range, would they move the first round pick? I mean, I can't speak for them, but I... I would think they would be open to it, depending on the play. Like, if it is somebody who's, like, an actual, like, real needle-moving piece, 24-year-old player who has control or whatever, right? It's just unlikely that that player becomes available anyways and that you're able to pull that off. So I think that's the only way you make that deal. But I don't think there should be any concern about this team trading away a first-round pick or even a second for a pure rental. It's uh, it's unlikely. And, and sort of how we've seen them do work... Like, let's say Tanev is on the table. Well, there you go. Um, m- yeah, maybe Tanev is a rental, but is that somebody they could see keeping around long-term? I mean, everybody in and around Tanev, and a lot of people in this city that know Tanev pretty well, you know, would say, yeah, he'd probably be okay with sticking around Vancouver yeah. uh, if that were to end up being a-, a landing spot for him once Calgary is is done and dusted and once he gets moved away from Calgary if he hits free agency next summer. All of those things do apply. But how have we seen them make other moves? You move Bovillier, you get a third-round pick, and you get cap space, and you use that third-round pick to go and get Zadorov. You move Travis Hamanick, you use that third-round pick to go get Travis Dermott. You know, maybe there are ways, because they're going to have to open up cap space anyhow, that uh, they acquire an asset in some way, shape, or form, and then use that asset uh, to acquire a player at the deadline. Well, and, and I think that's why I use the term pure rental yeah. because I don't think they do it for that. But in terms of Chris Tanov and the scenario you outlaid is kind of what I could see them doing. That's what it, they've done. All Like even the Heronic deal, yeah. right? Like they, every move they've made has sort of been like, if we're going to spend draft capital, we want to be able to try and get that capital from somewhere else before spending it out of our own pocket. And that makes sense. And, and I think in terms of where you're trying to go and the limited assets you have, you can't be giving away a lot of your picks. Like you need to have some picks to make here. Right. And also you need to have some available for a rainy day. If you do need to make some trades, the question is what do you have on your roster? That's going to get you that pick for you to go out there and get those players. Yeah. And which of those pieces are you willing to move? That's, um, you know, we can sort of look at it with some of the unrestricted free agents. Hello, Tyler Myers and the cap space that that might be able to open up. Uh, but, you know, some of the longer term contracts still going to be difficult to move for the Vancouver Canucks. One of the things that came up in the many different interviews that uh, he did, um, mainly with Ian McIntyre at Sports.ca and over at the province with Patrick Johnston, he talked about the prospects. Yeah. And I thought that was 
interesting in a way of, okay, why do you keep mentioning this? Um, and part of it is cap projections down the line, right? Having to deal with Oliver Ekman Larson's buyout in a couple of years. But I don't necessarily look at the Canucks prospect pool and say, hey, this is this is great. They've got some real projectable players here all of a sudden. In terms of like high-end prospects, it's the guys you drafted in the first round the last two years, Tom Willander and Jonathan Lekaramaki. Beyond that, like what prospects is he really projecting out to help this team in the not-so-distant future? That's that's kind of one extra question I, I sort of had coming out of these interviews. I think those two are the obvious ones to point to, and I do think they think highly of both those players. But I don't feel like they're anywhere near ready. But he mentioned year three and four. Right. of the uh, OEL buyout. Right. So that's not next year. So that's the year after. It's two the years year. from That's now. two years from now. So I don't think either of them are here next year. And I think with what Tom Willander has shown so far, and I think there's been a lot of positives for Tom Willander in Boston University, but he's still very much a work in progress. Right. And I think he's still a player who's coming over to play North American ice, and he's still adjusting to that. Like, I think defensively and also just in transition and everything, I think he's still a player who's adjusting to playing a completely different game. He's done some positives. But I, I think what, what it shows so far, and we'll see what it looks like by the end of the year because he's played 15 games. What do the next 15 games look like? And what does it look like at the end of the season? Mm-hmm. And if he takes big strides, maybe you feel a bit differently. But I looked at him, and I mentioned this last year, he's a guy that probably needs two years in college. Yeah, I think ideally. Like, you'd let him go this year, go one more year, and then he can come in and, hey, maybe he needs AHL time. Maybe he's ready to come and play a third pair role already. But I think that's kind of the timeline you look at. So that, that sets up that maybe Willander can play for you in two years. And maybe in three years, he can make an impact for you. Right. Like Karimaki, I think the hope would be that by the end of this season, he's played well enough that you feel like he can take the jump and come and play in the AHL next season. Or maybe then he needs one more year. But he's also more more of a long-term project. He's looked terrific this year, but you're probably looking at it like he mentioned. I think those two guys could potentially in year three and year four of the OEL buyout, so two to three years from now, maybe they can make an impact. Still need to add uh, strength. Both players still very young. Um, and uh, one of the, the reasons Willander chose to go to college is um, well, partly the North American ice, but also what we've seen for players in the college system yeah, you get some games, but also you get a lot of time to develop off the ice and develop your body, develop your skills, um, those those types of things. Like you, you don't you don't get overloaded with games that you can't work a ton off the ice, which is, I think, a problem for some junior players. No, absolutely, there is. It is yeah. right, and I think um, having that time for the, those guys to really work with it, I think, is really important. And I think if we look also at you know the ideas. Or I'd say, yeah, the ideas they've had about development with this mm-hmm. team, the work they put into when it comes to development with this team, how much of the prospects he's mentioning to are guys that could be knocking on the door for next year. Right. That are th- that are work that they're working with down in Abbotsford right now. Hey, we've seen Hoaglander went there, spent a lot of time. This year he's showing some real good signs, right? Looks like a completely different player. <laughs> right? He does. And now we'll see how much that lasts and how he fits into the picture here yeah. long term with this team. But I think he's another example of here's a guy that they sent down to work. He's come back up and now he's a contributor. Is that going to be put Coles in some mm-hmm. point this season, some point next season? Is there a defenseman, whether that's a Cole McWard, 
Right. Is it somebody else? Philip Johansson still that they have high hopes for, but Hirose, Hirose, who's you know hasn't really produced this year, but they have a couple guys there. Arshdeep yeah. Baines, who leads the team in point scoring, his goal scoring is a bit off, but he's been really terrific taking a step this season. Are they banking on one or two of those guys at some point emerging? Uh, a couple of texts coming in on that idea. Uh, Atu Ratu, can't forget about yeah. him, and uh, Vasily Podkols, and a couple of mentions of uh, Pod Coles in there on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Look, they, they have done a, a better job of you know, making development a part of who they want to be as, as an organization, part of their identity as an organization. And we've started to see it happening a little bit, but uh, still some ways to go. Like you still want to see more coming out of Abbotsford. And, you know, it was... They weren't developing much out of Abbotsford before this organization came in. No, they weren't. And I think you have to be at a point now where, okay, so if you are able to move Garland along, do you have somebody internally that can do something similar to what he can do? Yeah. We mentioned Hoaglander if he's here. And and, And then use that money for an impact piece. Right. You have the money that opens up, right? Uh, In your bottom six, for instance, Teddy Bluger has been terrific. Yeah. But can you afford to bring him back, especially with the cap tightening? So you have Suter for one more year after this. So Niels Allman is to be a guy, right? Aturatu at some point. Can he be a center? Can he be a guy for you? And if you can slot these guys in into your bottom six, making a million entry-level contracts even, or slightly more, just Mm -hmm. kind of around that, then, well, it opens up, like you mentioned, money for you to do other things, address bigger needs, get the star players you need, right? And I think that's how good teams are able to succeed. I mean, we look at Tampa. They're in town. Look at the players they've always brought along. Yeah. You know, it's been about you have your top guys, but they've had these cheaper guys over the years come along that contribute for them. Always finding guys, whether it was Yanni Gord or, uh, you know, Nick Perbix now, like yeah. guys that they've just continued to develop through their organization and brought up to the NHL level. The other part of the Jim Rutherford uh, Q&As, will he sign an extension? And... You know, it sounds to me like he's uh, ready to uh, keep doing this. Uh, he signed a two-and-a-half-year deal when he first came in. That was uh, outlined in Ian McIntyre's piece at sportsnet.ca. And so now you're, what, six months out from the deal expiring. Extension hasn't yet happened. He said that there's been some talks, but everybody is as comfortable as it stands right now. Um, what, what do we see happening with the future of Jim Rutherford as president of Hockey Ops? I think that's a question that only Francesco Aquilini can answer. Because, right. hey, here's where he makes a decision, right? Yes. You can talk about Rutherford making decisions on the GM, and they can make a decision on the head coach. And, yes, the the owner gives a uh, sign-off or whatever oftentimes on it, but not the key decision-maker. This is where the owner is the key decision-maker. Yeah, and... That's still to be determined. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, we haven't heard from Francesco in a while, right? We're not quite, we can't, you know, say for sure where, where he's at. I would assume, however, that considering the, the success they're having this season, the stability the organization is having, the alignment they have, that you would want to keep nurturing this. And, the and, excitement around the team, yeah, the you, at least look of a, a, an organization that's heading in the right direction. Yeah, so why why let that slide, right? Yeah. So I, I, I would like to see Rutherford get an extension, whether it's only a couple of years or whatever it is. But, you know, I, I'd like to see him get an extension and I'd like to see him stay here. And I would be surprised if he's not here. Yeah. You know, based on everything we've seen and how everything has gone, I'd be surprised. But... Well, it's it's sort of like the um, the idea of them not making the playoffs now. Like they'd they'd have to really play 
pretty badly for the the next three quarters of the of the season in order for that to not happen and be a team that quite frankly we haven't really seen under Rick Tockett's tutelage and something that would really shake the idea that there is alignment within the organization mm-hmm. because you know Rutherford can say that there's great alignment but you know it's it's pretty evident that they are mostly on the same page with where they want to take the organization so why would you want to shake that up when it is working so well as it seems in the moment. And that's where I, I don't, ex, I don't, I don't yeah. expect, but again, like you never know how these things go. Like, do they feel at some point that, Hey, you have to move on anyways. We're not talking about somebody who is, you know, even in, in his mid sixties, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So you can always, you can, you always have to leave that possibility for maybe there is a sense of using an opportunity to do something else, for instance. But I, I'd say considering how robust the rest of the management team is, that you should just keep Rutherford for however long he wants to stay. Yeah. And it's probably not going to be more than two, I mean, a few years at the most. We're not talking about a guy who's going to be here for 10 or 15 more years, right? As, as the team's president, right? Like, so after that, you can kind of figure out if you need another president, how you go about aligning things. But I, I think with how things have gone, it'd be foolish to, to shake it up. I think this organization needs some, some strong stability and alignment. And it seems like they finally have it. The um, final thing I wanted to hit on this, and we're going to get Irfan Gafar's take on a lot of these topics as well. The practice facility. Yes. The ever-elusive practice facility for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, in a piece with Patrick Johnston uh, as part of that Q&A, um, Rutherford essentially said, land is very hard to come by in Vancouver, and so we're looking at options to renovate a currently existing arena to fit our needs as a National Hockey League club. Yeah, not quite as exciting no. as uh, having your own practice facility. How What that looks like, it doesn't mean it's the worst thing in the world if you can get some facilities around, if you can upgrade some facilities, have a good training room, if you can have you know something pretty high level in that regard, and the ice time is consistent for where you are and where you're practicing. I think it's doable. Like yeah. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I think it's better than what they currently have. Yes, that's ultimately what matters most. But it's a low bar. Yeah, you know. So it's having to go to UBC is not the most ideal situation. It's, it's not. Now I, I would say as much as yes, going to UBC is not the most ideal. Um, as long as the facilities are okay. I mean, sometimes you got to travel a little bit. It's not. You know, it's not like every single team has a practice facility that's only 10, 15 minutes away for everybody. Yes. Like you go through different markets and they have to drive. You know, a ways away. Some some places the facility isn't as close to you know where the rink is, for instance, right? So. Not every situation is 100% ideal, but if you can get the facilities to a point where they are NHL caliber yeah, and you have some amenities for the players, at least it can be something presentable, but it still tells you that long term, they have to figure something out. And I just think you feel more and more skeptical of that ever getting figured out because we're talking about, at, it's been at least a decade, like a couple of decades, honestly, of trying to yeah. figure out if the Canucks are going to have a, their own practice facility or not, and it's really gotten nowhere. It's, uh, you know, you, you look at Seattle maybe as a template. They, they're quite a bit north of where the actual NHL arena is, Climate Pledge, and that's how a lot of teams have had to work. You go a little bit out of the city to be able to find space that uh, is a little bit easier to come by, but um, that's for Jim Rutherford to figure out <laughs> as uh, president of the Vancouver Canucks. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Irfan Gaffar joins us next on Canuck Central.
Back in on Canuck Central, it's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. This hour of Canuck Central brought to you by Brevo. Brevo provides convenient cloud-based access control systems from your mobile device for any industry. Go to lp.brevo.com slash Canada for a smart demonstration. Let's uh, bring in our next guest. He joins us every Tuesday here on Canuck Central. It is Canucks insider Irfan Gaffar. What's happening, Irf? Gentlemen, what's shaking? Still, uh, still trying to get over Shohei Otani's contract. Would you defer sixty-eight yeah. million dollars per season? That's crazy. I mean, <laughs> clearly he hopes I, I wouldn't. But uh, <laughs> Shohei Otani, I'm pretty sure, has no problem. He doesn't seem like a guy that's uh, going to be in the next thirty for thirty for you know broke. I, yeah. I think he's you know pretty. <laughs> I, I think he's pretty smart with his money. He's, you know, doesn't probably doesn't have to move out of his LA home. Maybe upgrade a little bit if he wants, but. Uh, yeah, what is it? Bobby Bonilla's deal is now up in 2033, and then it starts in 2034 or something like that. Yeah, it's it's along those lines. And I I would say too, so, hey, listen, I'm not an accountant. I'm not even that good at math. (laughs) But I would say I've I've seen some people, and I think it was uh, Keith or somebody texted in yesterday, and and somebody else I I know I spoke to said, hey, deferring money can actually be very beneficial because you can skirt certain taxes, you can do certain things with it and whatever, you can borrow against it even. Like there there are certain things you can do. Like I thought hey, deferring money is like this taking this huge loss, but here's a funny thing. If you have lots of money to play with, you can do pretty much whatever you want and make it work for you. That's kind of my takeaway here. Well, 100%. And I mean, look, I I think the biggest thing is the Dodgers, I mean, they're they can win now, right? You're not paying just this guy a bajillion dollars a year. Yeah. Now you can go sign more players and even more players. But that's what was it? That's why they play the game. So yeah. <laughs> you got them for a bajillion dollars, but are you really going to end up winning here? So that's the interesting conversation to have, obviously. The only thing I wonder is if Rob Manfred is going to change the rules like Gary Bettman did because he doesn't like the way this contract is structured. <laughs> I don't think he's going to. It's in the CBA. Like, I, think, I think that's right, black and white. But like as a Toronto Blue Jays fan, like how sad are you? That oh, don't don't even get me. Were started, you okay? were you flying? Were you on the flight tracker and everything too, or what? No, I was not. We were not flight tracking. Okay, but we were we were pretty close. I was. Uh, no, uh, Reach was very. He's very heartbroken. <laughs> he was gutted. <laughs> I was, you know, I was making my machinations of the Blue Jays lineup and, and things like that. But uh, you know, it's all it's all for naught. Now we <laughs> now we just wonder what uh, cheap lefty bat the, the Blue Jays are gonna try and, and go after. Uh, to fill the hole that is left by uh, Shohei Otani. Anyways, okay, moving on. Uh, Vancouver Canucks, Jim Rutherford uh, doing the, the media tour right now. He'll uh, he'll come on our show tomorrow after he's done all these other interviews. But nonetheless, um, what, was, what was your big takeaway from uh, some of what the president has had to say on his two-year anniversary of becoming president of the Vancouver Canucks? Um, I think probably that there's, there, they, they believe that their window is open. Yeah. Um, I think that's interesting. I, I think that when he talks about wanting to improve his hockey club, he's not just saying it. Like, I think they're actively wanting to do it by going out and making all these moves that, you know, him and Patrick Alvin have been able to do. Um, there's definitely some belief there that they can, you know, do it. But I think the biggest thing is, you know, he believes in this team, but he knows they have to get better. And I think when you look at it from that aspect of it, it's okay you break it down a little bit more. Okay, well, what does he really mean? Is it another forward? Is it another defenseman? I, I, I really do think that when you when you look at it and what he said as a total is like, okay, we can probably make the playoffs, but we're going to need to do better if we want to do any damage once we get there. And I think that's the 
the one of my takeaways as well. I mean, we yeah. kind of knew that hey, they they obviously think highly of this team and they think they can do something here with it, but they want to do more. And if they can do a lot of that this year, I think they do it. But there's a realization and and a reality here that doing the things they want to do is still going to take some time. You know, and especially with how the cap is and how other teams are situated, it's just not going to be easy to move certain guys. And the offseason is going to be maybe easier for you. Like, what do you do with Besser, for instance? What ends up happening with Hironik and Pedersen? I think all those kind of factors are in. But I I do think as much as, yes, they're looking at the future and he wasn't going to commit one way or another, they're still going to be very active this year to do what they can to make the team better. Absolutely. I agree. I mean, if Besser scores... 30 plus goals this year going into next summer. I don't know if he, he might go have a talk with Patrick Alvin and says, yeah, I want to stay. And they might be, we might not be able to afford you. Money. <laughs> so, yeah. That's just one of the conversations, but look, I mean, improving the roster. We, we talk about this every single week guys. And, you know, and, and they've, they've slowly started to chip away at doing it. You know, you get rid of Anthony Bovillia, you get that cat space, you acquire Nikita Zadorov. And, you know, obviously you, you saw what, um, Rick Tockett had to say that he believes that there's another level for Zadorov to get to. I, I think so too. I think it's just about getting acclimated to where you're playing, where you're living and, and, and all that kind of thing and all that kind of stuff. But um, I, I think it's offensively, right? I, I think it's in the, within that bottom six forward group. You want to try and look for maybe a little bit more depth or, 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 or maybe someone that can, you know, is one of those guys that can produce a little bit more maybe on that third line. Um, and then if you really are going to go out swinging, you try and acquire a top six forward. Now that's probably going to be a difficult move unless you're moving someone out. But I think that ideally that's one of the things that they want to do if, um, when they're trying to look at this hockey team and improve it. Yeah, I guess, you know, the, the question that pretty much the, the team will have to answer in, in the lead up to the trade deadline is just how aggressive are you going to be this year? Right. And you know, what exactly does that entail? But but as it stands right now, you know, the window starting to open doesn't necessarily mean they're they're throwing caution to the wind with their aggressiveness. It's more as it's been ever since they got here, like calculated aggression in how they turned over the team. And now it's more calculated aggression in how we're adding pieces to what we have. Well, yeah, I mean, it definitely has to be calculated, right? Because you can't just go out and spend a bunch of money that you don't have. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that that's, that's the big thing. And that's the reality, not just for the Canucks, but for a lot of other teams in the National Hockey League, especially cup contenders or teams that view themselves as cup contenders. If they're, you know, uh, right around the cap right now or hovering in that area, you know, you, you can't go out and make that splash anymore. It's a little bit more difficult. But, you know, the cap's going to go up next year and the year after and the year after that. So it's you look a couple years down the road and say, OK, who do we think is going to be a free agent in a couple years that we might believe that we could have a decent shot at getting and then if your window you believe is still open for the next few years obviously depending on what Elias Pedersen does um and and how long if and when he resigns um what what is your plan there so I don't only think that this is you know just to get into the playoffs and and the one-year plan year I think that when they look at it you know there's some serious conversations and consideration going into okay our window's open this is it but what's our plan not this year next year but the year after that as well I find the the questions about uh, the, the salary cap and and how they've continuously spent up to it, and how at first you know one of the first things he said was we've we've got to open up cap space and like like really the the only way Jim Rutherford knows the salary cap system is like well if we open up some salary cap space we're going to use it <laughs> and that's essentially what he's done ever since he got here it's not like they're they're trying to open up cap space to to save it no they're they're trying no, to open up cap space it. to use it right 
Absolutely. And why wouldn't you? Yeah. Right. If, if, if your owner is giving you the green light to go and spend money to the cap and be able to, you know, put a winning team on the ice night in and night out and some, and a team that compete for the playoff spot and hopefully, you know, be in a position that you're one day competing for a Stanley cup. Why wouldn't you go and spend that money? There's your brother for you got a checkbook. You to open up, just sign whoever you want. Right. As long yeah. as there's room to do it. Well, and I think that's the thing. It, it, it always comes down to that room, right? Like how much room do you actually have to do things? And, and like, yeah. let's kind of walk through what could happen. Like we know Connor Garland's name has been out there. I don't know if there's going to be anything imminent on that front. Uh, we know Andre Kuzmenko, Rutherford spoke about as well and, and said he wouldn't, you know, uh, he, he wouldn't narrow himself to just one way, one pathway, that, which means potentially if somebody give you the price you wanted, maybe you do move Kuzmenko. But in reality, when we talk about guys they might move out, does it make any real sense with any of two? Like, do they get really get far enough with either of those two players? Well, the third name you didn't mention, and we got to give him his flowers right now, and that's right. Niels Hoaglander. Right, yeah. For the, for, for, for the way that he's been playing the last maybe month or so, right? You know, he's carved himself a role. He's putting himself in different positions to succeed. He's earning trust from his coach. He's playing in, 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 in bigger minutes. He's, he's on the ice when you know, there, a goal is needed, obviously, and, you know, he, and he's been scoring. So that's another player. Of those three, I think right now, he might be their biggest asset, just from the, based on the way he's playing right now. I mean, you know, obviously Kuzmenko's a little bit different. He's, he's the big ticket guy, but he's just not playing well, right? And, yeah. and is it a system thing? Is, is, is it a thing where, you know, when your head coach comes out and says he's got a four check, like other teams look at that and say, well, maybe this is just not a problem in Vancouver. Maybe he, mm-hmm. just, doesn't, he just can't four check. And then that's just one of those things. Well, obviously, he's going to learn, and they're going to be patient with him. Um, and Connor Garland, right now, I really do like think that they like that that line that they have with him on it. I think that that line is dependable. They don't get scored on often, uh, or much at all, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and and they're reliable. So, of the three, um, if you're going to maybe move someone that could bring something back. You know, you look at Hoaglander and say, okay, how much do we really need this guy? I've said before, I do think they need him, especially now, because he is producing, but he's probably that he's probably the one that's going to bring you the most back. And it also comes down to, like, organizationally, how do they view him? Do they view him as a player that can be a true top six solution? Do they view him as somebody who can be in your top six or your bottom six and, and be helpful? Or do they just think that they want to have a bit more size overall? And listen, Hoaglander is very effective. It doesn't come down to size, but you just wonder, like, how do they view this player? Do they view this guy as an impact player that can play in your top six? And look at the profile of the guys in their top six on the wing, right? Lafferty, big player that got his chance to go up there, right? Mikheyev, big on the wing. Brock Besser is, you know, he, he's not a small player, right? Yeah. And you even look at PDG who play there for a while. Now, Kuzmenko's a talented player more so, but it, it's you got to score at a high rate or you got to bring something physical and have certain traits. So I'm not sure how they view him and his traits overall. So if they can get a good enough return, I think that's what it comes down to. And with the way he's playing, like, what are we looking at here? Are we looking at, you know, they're not going to do it for a draft pick. It's very clear that if yeah. you're moving somebody, they're doing it to make the team better. No, I agree. And I don't think the conversation around Hoaglander is changing. I think it's evolving, right? Because then they're, you're, start, you're starting to realize what kind of player you have. And if you put him in positions where he's able to succeed, mm-hmm. you're kind of like, okay, well, maybe he is a little bit of someone that we want to keep here. And, let, and let's take another look at this and let's give it five or six more games and see really how this goes because he's seizing every opportunity right now in, in where he's playing. Right. Whereas a guy like Andre Kuzmenko, unfortunately hasn't. Right. 
they gave them, you know, they said, you're going to play on the fourth line, but we're going to give you top, top power play uh, unit time. And even then, he's not really doing too much. He's not shooting the puck. He's not really doing anything. So it's unfortunate, but, you know, someone else is making the most of their opportunity. And a guy like Andre Kuzmenko, he talks going down a little bit. How, how real are the Kuzmenko trade discussions from what you've heard? I think that there. I think that he's very much so available. Um, I don't think the Canucks are actively calling teams and saying, "Okay, what's it going to take?" You know, we're we're actively shopping Andre Kuzmenko. I think that there's been some phone calls made and and just to garner interest around the league. I don't think a memo has been sent out or anything like that saying, "Yo, 96 is available. Come out, come at us." It's just yeah. not. It, and that's just not. <laughs> that's just not it, right? Yeah. But. Um, you know, I think that there are conversations that are had. And I, and I think that from the Canucks side, you know, you're, you're not just going to want to give this player up for nothing, right? You, you, you gave him a big contract. He scored 39 goals in the National Hockey League. Like, that's not easy to do, right? And I think that now where he is in his NHL development, I think, is a little bit different. I think that maybe it's, it's talk, it's style of game that's not suiting him his best. And, and maybe it is, you know, not being able to get in hard on the forecheck and him understanding the game and, and, and things like that. But you know, where for a guy that talented, just not being able to figure it out yet this season, I mean, there obviously is a little bit of cause for concern. And I think the Canucks, they're going to work with him. I mean, they're not going to yeah. obviously give up on him. But to, to your point, Reach, Reach and, and, and going back to that question, like, he's available for sure. For Like, I think what's instructive with this front office is, like, there isn't really too many untouchable players on this team, right? We, no. we, we know who they are. Um, but for everyone else, like they have a good idea of what they'd be willing to take for that player, what cap space might open if you trade that player and who they'd want to go out and acquire should they open up some of that cap space. But it's just, I think the way they operate is, yeah, outside of Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes and maybe JT Miller and Thatcher Demko, Pretty much anybody is is available for the right price. They're pretty ruthless when it comes to their player evaluation. Yeah, but I think ruthless. Uh, I think I think honest is yeah. is a good word too, right? Like if you're you're not playing well, you're not playing well, and 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 they'll let you know. And I think that when you're evaluating talent, and you're a guy that's been around the National Hockey League for as long as Jim Rutherford has, and obviously is very successful in his career, and you know Patrick Alvin has has, has seen that with with Pat, with Jim Rutherford in Pittsburgh and, and all those years. And the, you look at the coaching staff and the way that they view players, you know, they know when you're not playing well and they're good evaluators of talent. Like they know what it takes to win a Stanley cup. And you look at this roster when Jim Rutherford came, came, came in and, and took this job over a couple of years ago, he looked at this roster and said, we can't win right now. Yeah. Not, not with this team, not with some of these players. So they went and they went about and they made some moves and they're, and they're doing things and they're slowly starting to, to build this team and, and mold it into what they think is a contender or will be at some point. But yeah, I mean, if I'm a Canucks fan, I'm, I'm putting some trust in Jim Rutherford and, and Patrick Alvin and even Rick Tockett's availability or uh, ability to, to evaluate players because those guys have obviously won at the highest level. No, they, they certainly have. And I think now the, the other thing is, and Rutherford himself was asked a couple of times, does he want to, is he willing to stay here longer term? <laughs> is the team willing to give him an extension? And, and as we were saying in the previous segment, I mean, it's really a, a question only the owner can answer. But given how things are going, I would assume they'd be open to keeping him around. I think Jim Rutherford's having fun, to be honest, in this role. 
right? Mm-hmm. He goes on, doesn't really have to do much media. He's kind of behind the scenes. He does his media tour in December, probably won't hear from him again until he's full, right? Yeah. I just think that that's the way it's going to go. And I think he, he, he likes the role that he's carved out. I mean, obviously, the relationship that he has, it's obviously not just on, on the present hockey upside. There's obviously the business side of things and what they do with um, Canuck Sports and Entertainment that, that, that he's involved with as well. But um, I think he's having fun. And I think if the owner you know, wanted to give him an extension, I, I think that Rutherford would, you know, gladly, um, w- would gladly accept that. I think that, you know, he sees the top-level talent here and guys like Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson. He gave JT Miller a really big contract extension. He knows what he has in goal in Thatcher Demko. Um, we saw the start of this season. Like, this team does have the ability to play really, really, really good hockey. Now it's up to the, it's up to the coach and his staff to be able to do it consistently over 82 games and to see what happens in the playoffs. Uh, for me, like stability would be a very good thing for this organization right now. I mean, yeah. even if you think about the previous regime, as much as they were around for a long time, it was like constant questions of how much longer they're going to be around until they finally changed it over. And so I just, especially with how things are going, how they look to be headed in the right direction, the stability for me is, is part of the key of, of keeping this moving forward. Yeah, and I think that, if you're, you know, the owner uh, of the team and, and we, you know, we just met, you mentioned stability. It's, you know, your players want to see that as well. They don't want to see a revolving door of guys going through the GM's office or guys going through the head coaching office. Or, well, I, I don't know, think Pedersen wants to see anything office. change right now no, for, for, for that negotiation, right? right? Well, exactly. And I think that when you look at that, but not only him, right? It's, it's free agents. It's other players that you want to acquire. It's guys that, you know, if, if you're looking to trade a player, are they willing to waive their no trade clauses? Vancouver on one of your teams that you don't want to go to. And will that change? Mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of it has to do with stability. And, you know, right now it's pretty good. Like right now, top to bottom, I'd say that they're in pretty good shape when it comes to stability in the organization. Now, you know, it's, it's been a couple of years and it's taken some time and there's been some ups and downs, obviously, but what they have right now for with Jim Rutherford leading the charge all the way down to Rick Tockett and, and even the players, I, I think that a lot of them can say that, you know, this is a pretty good thing that they have going. It, it does seem that way, right? It does seem yeah. like, you know, like things are like working well together now. Hey, if, if things go sideways, the narratives change in a, in a pretty quick way. But would you say in terms of how ownership feels? I mean, I know you can't answer, but if you would just kind of wonder, like, do you, would you feel like they're pretty happy with the decision they made a couple of years ago to hire this regime? Mm-hmm. I am. Because, like, I mean, look. Like Jim Rutherford is a name that most when most GMs get a phone call from Jim Rutherford, they're probably picking it up. Or you know what I mean? Like it, it's he's been around the league for so long. He's had success. You know he's been around like Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and and you know there's been so many um, situations where you know he at the top. That's 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 stability right there in itself. And then you work down to Patrick Alvin, who was obviously an apprentice of his, and you know what he's been able to learn. And then you look at that and say, okay, well we've done good there. Now, you know, you get rid of Travis Green and then you bring Bruce Boudreau in for those couple of years and then whatever, or the year and a bit, and then the Bruce situation is completely gone. Now you bring in Rick Tockett, you know, another guy who's been around the league for a long time, has some edge, has a little bit of spice, is a little bit of a different style of coach, and you bring him in, bring him into a team. It's kind of in a, in a situation where they're on the up and up, but what really is their identity? They've got a lot of really, really, really good players, but how do they play? And can we get everyone together? And can we get them on the same page? You bring in Sergey Goncher. You bring in guys like Adam Foote. 
you know, your Hall of Famers. Daniel and Henrik Sedin are on the ice with these guys almost every single day. Like, how is – how – when if you're a player looking at this team and you're looking around and saying, like, look at who we have and how much stability there is right now, like, it, it's hard not to want to play here, right? So the, the next step is, okay, get this team into the playoffs and see what we can do. And I think that that's the next part of what kind of the program is here. And going back to your point, Sat, like, uh, I, think, I think ownership's really pleased. I think, you know, when, when they hired Jim Rutherford, you knew what, you, you knew what they were getting, and – I think that, you know, a lot of people didn't respect the Canucks as an organization for a long time, right? Respect is earned, not given. And I think that they're starting to get the respect back. It certainly seems that way. Uh, before we let you go, Ethan Bear uh, looks like he's landing with the Capitals. And uh, I think Chris Johnson uh, mentioned that it's going to be two years, close to around $2 million per season, kind of what we expected, yeah, right? And yeah. so when we look at what he's looking to get, right? He's getting term, he's getting more than what Vancouver was, was willing to offer. I think if Vancouver really wanted him, they could have done something along these lines. I think it came down to, I don't know if they wanted to invest in him in two years for two years. Yeah. Well, I think that that's the biggest thing, right? If you really want to give him two years at 1.9 or 2 million bucks a season, like, I mean, that, that's, that's quite a bit of money, right? For a guy that, you know, obviously he played well here. Um, he had his ups and downs, but you know, for, for the most part, he's a decent enough defenseman. But uh, I think that, you know, for him, good for him. Go get your money. You're coming off, you're coming off a surgery. It's a pretty major surgery and no one really knows. And you have a team that's willing to commit to you for two years. I'm taking that contract all day. Like if I'm him. So I got no player with him doing it, but uh, um, I think from the Canucks standpoint, it just wasn't going to, it just wasn't in their cards to make it work financially. And it just didn't make sense. Uh, Final thing. uh, The NHL just announced uh, their reimagined skills competition. The winner's going to get a million. The winner's going to get a million bucks. Yeah. The winner will receive $1 million. So maybe they'll actually care this year. Oh, finally. I think they're going to care. They're going to care. <laughs> well, a million bucks? Well, well, but the thing is about it, there's only 12 players participating. So who decides who are the 12 that get to participate? Like, yeah. Of the, of the All-Stars. So it looks like eight, uh, eight will be selected by the NHL, and then four will be selected by fans. Okay. And then they're going to have like oh. this big, long tournament. It's got like eight rounds. <laughs> and whoever's okay. got the most points by the end of it is going to be the, the million-dollar mo- winner. Well, if Connor McDavid designed it, you know, for one thing, it won't be boring at all, right? <laughs> oh, he's, he's the most interesting man on the planet, yeah. for sure. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, Irf, you're the best. Thanks for this. All right, gentlemen. You all. Uh, there he is, Irfan Gaffar, joining Great. us on Canuck Central. Great stuff as always. And, uh, he, you know, he mentions Hoaglander. And uh, I think Hoaglander is at a point now with how he's played. At the very least, he's an option for you. Yeah. And he has also increased his value. So if the d- team decides to do something, Rich and Cloverdale says, you know, you guys uh, have said how these guys do their business. They, they trade one player and then use the assets for that player to go after somebody else. So could they not do the same thing for Hoaglander? So it doesn't necessarily mean you can't trade him for a draft pick. It's a good point that Rich makes, and obviously that's still possible. Yeah. When I say I don't think they're going to trade him for for a draft pick, it is. I'd say it's a. It was a flippant way of saying it, but I do think it's more likely that if he gets traded, it's either for a player back in return, right? You know what I mean, as opposed to um, a draft pick back in return, and him being part of a tr- bigger trade potentially. Mm. He's making one point one million. Yeah. How much cap space does that, how much flexibility does trading him for a draft pick give you? It's good to get an asset, but unless you're getting shedding salary elsewhere, it doesn't really allow you to do much with trading him. You know what I mean? So that's why, what I mean by if they're trading Hoaglander, and again, it's a big if, I'm not saying they are. Yeah. If they do, 
I think it's in a deal where other things are involved or you're getting a younger player who's a cheaper player that plays a different position maybe or something. You know what I mean? Like, because with 1.1 million, there isn't just there isn't a lot you can do with just freeing up that cap space. The again, the th- the thing with this organization, you know, I know a lot of teams would say, "Hey, we'll look at anything that that we think makes our team better," but they make more trades than anybody else. Yeah. You know, so they they almost they put that idea more into action than other people do, where they just sort of make it feels like a cliche. So. With Hoaglander, if you're moving a player like that who's playing as well as he is, is 22 years old and is only making a million one, you probably have something that you think is going to make you better because this player is right now bringing you a lot of value for the one million dollars he's making on the salary cap, and and that's why it's it's intriguing, and yeah. that's why I wonder, do the or does the organization view him as like, wow, he's also he's our solution, or we're going to cash in on this because we don't think he fits our long-term kind of right. idea. And either way, I think it's positive because either he's going to be a player for you or he helps you get something that you need. And that's what I just wonder about overall when it comes to Niels Hoaglander in Vancouver, that they like him, but do they think his spot on the roster makes total sense? Where does it make most sense and how does that fit? But uh, at the very least, you have a player that's really helping you out right now. Well, and even if you just go back to... Um... Patrick Alvin's first offseason, when they first got and went into negotiations, it was reported that Hoaglander was Carolina's ask for Ethan Bear. Yeah. And the Canucks weren't really too keen on that, right? So it, it kind of gives you an idea that they that they still think pretty highly of this player, and why wouldn't you? Yeah, and listen, I've mentioned in the past that I would be open to moving him, yeah. right? So people know that, and I, and I probably would have taken less than what, what a lot of people would have taken at, at some point when it comes to Hoaglander. But I think with how he's playing and how the organization values him, it's not just for like, hey, let's just move this guy as quickly as we can. It's it's a pretty decent ask, if they are. And I think the type of player you might be able to target, like, I, for instance, you mentioned Carolina, right? Yeah. And I'll throw a hypothetical out, out there real quick. I know okay. we got a break. Martin Nickash, he's a he's a he's a free agent. He's a RFA at the end of the year. Yeah. Probably looking at a big contract, yeah. for instance, right? But is that a player that truly fits with the head coach? We will wonder sometimes, right? Like his his ice times down a little bit this very, season. Very uh, very high end fourth liner, you might think. Yes. for Carolina. Yeah. Now, how is he going to fit in there? Do they feel like they want to pay him ultimately and keep him, or are they flipping him at some point? And you can't do Hoaglander for him one one on one for one, right? Yeah. But I'm just saying, like. Does is, is he at a point that if you're moving him, we're talking about bigger game hunting where you go after using him as part of a package, for instance, that can get, get you something meaningful? I think that's what you should look at. Like, I'm not big, I'm not very keen on, you know, trading Hoaglander for a different third liner or something. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like he's giving you something 1.1 this year and next year. Like, ride it. Like, for me, like, if you're trading it for something that's a sideways move, just keep the player. Yeah. Uh, it, it should be something that helps you get an impact player. That's. Yeah the level uh, Nils Hoaglander has played to. Uh, All right, more to come. Corey Schneider is going to join us. Uh, This should be fun. He's going to give his take on Roberto Luongo, his impact, and just how he was as a battery mate for the Canucks and that great net-minding duo of years past. His ring of honor night is coming up for Roberto Luongo. It's Dan Riccio, Satyar Shah. You are listening to Canucks Central.